0: This is Metro Focus with Raphael P. Roman, Jack Ford, and Jenna Flanagan. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wachenheim III, Philomen M. D'Agostino Foundation, the Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold. Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, the Ambrose Monell Foundation,
1: Estate of Roland Carlin. Hi, I'm Jenna Flanagan. 40 years ago, Brenda Berkman paved the way for women to join the FDNY, winning a federal discrimination lawsuit against the city of New York that made it possible for women to become New York City firefighters for the first time in history. After serving 25 years in the FDNY and retiring as captain, a career that included acting as a first responder during 9-11, Berkman decided to take a leap and follow her passion for activism and for art. Berkman is the vice president of programs at the nonprofit organization Monumental Women, which advocated for and secured the installation in 2020 of the first monument in all of Central Park, to honor real women, Sojourner Truth, Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Her own artwork is part of an exhibit at the 9-11 Memorial and Museum. Berkman has also been an author, a teacher, a White House fellow, among many other things. And we should note, a regular watcher of Metro Focus. And she joins me now to talk about her life, her career, and what is All ties all of those seemingly distinct pursuits (laughs) together. Brenda, welcome to Metro Focus. It's great to have you on.
2: Hey, Jenna, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Love Uh, Metro Focus. (laughs) Well, first of all, I never get enough of hearing that. But (laughs) what I also want to hear, though, is about, I mean, your groundbreaking career. Um, You know, the FDNY is such a storied institution in New York, and you're one of the people who broke a huge barrier as a woman to be able to serve as a firefighter. Just tell me a little bit about, take me back to that time and tell me about that experience. You
2: know, people don't re- remember at all that prior to 1977, women weren't even allowed to apply to become New York city firefighters. So that meant that it didn't matter if you had won Olympic gold medals in a, you know, in the pentathlon or whatever, or, if, or you're, you know, your entire family had been on the fire department for its entire existence. You weren't allowed to even apply if you happened to have been born a woman. And that had to change in 1977 in response to federal se- sex discrimination laws. And uh, then, of course, when women were first allowed to apply, the city decided to change this test to make it what was called the most difficult test ever given for any job in New York City. And a lot of people really had doubts about women's physical capabilities, even about our courage to you know, do dangerous things. And there was a lot of opposition um, among men and women to women coming on the job. But I believe that the city was not actually testing for job-related physical abilities. And when all the women who took the physical portion of the the exam, failed it, and I failed it, and I was in much better shape than I am today, Uh, I brought this lawsuit, and to people's great surprise, I won. And that was really, though, the beginning of the struggle for women, a struggle that continues to go on today to be fully integrated into the New York City Fire Department still very small numbers of women. When I won my lawsuit, 40 of us came on together. Uh-huh. Um, and then another woman wasn't hired for 10 years. Uh, and then after that, three, one of whom just retired recently. So it's been, a you know, only now are we up to the over a hundred women in the New York City Fire Department in a department that is 11,000 members. So, yeah, so you can see it's been an uphill battle, but I really believe that women had a lot to contribute to the department, to the fire service, to our communities. We want to serve our communities the same way that men do, and it is a great job. Uh, It just was not the easiest thing for me when I came on because um, of a tremendous amount of resistance to women becoming firefighters
1: well you know a lot of times i mean because i also want to talk about your work once you retired um but very quickly just once you got in how was it for you to be able to rise to captain um in what by a lot of accounts not ubiquitously i don't want to make judgments here but by a lot of accounts sounds a lot like a boys club oh yeah high school locker room you know um well
2: we do have civil service exams and you know I studied, I got promoted to lieutenant, and then I studied some more and I got promoted to captain and I really liked being an officer. I liked having um drilling in you know, and having control over the day so that we could go out and do the things that we were supposed to be doing. Um I highly recommend to women that they study for promotion and, and uh, you know, take it when it comes along. So things did get better for the first group of women as we went along. But honestly, Jenna, I still got some harassment on the day that I retired from the fire department, which just seems goofy to me because, um, you know, why would people not want to make the job the kind of job where everyone feels like they're part of the team and and we're all pulling together because it is a, a a dangerous job. It is a demanding job. And I, you know, I really thought that all of us, men and women, should be working as one, as one team.
1: Well, then what I want to get asked after, I guess, is how did you take those experiences and use that to, I guess, perhaps inspire and build your uh, career in activism and in art? We so often hear about artists is that there's usually some sort of adversity that uh, drives them to create. And I'm wondering if that was the same for you.
2: Well, I just start out by saying that I was an activist from the time I was a little girl because I really had interests that a lot of people believe little girls shouldn't have, like sports. We didn't have Title IX in those days um, and other kinds of things, leadership roles that girls could be secretaries, but they couldn't be president of you know, the student council, goofy things like that. And I, uh, when I came on the job as a, as a firefighter in New York, I formed an organization because I knew the women had to work together and, and help each other out and have each other's backs. Um, but I was trained as a historian. I have a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in history uh, from college and graduate school. And I always had an interest in, in women and people of color. The, the groups, the marginalized groups, it's hard to think well, of women as a marginalized group because we're the majority of the population, but it's true. And how they had been left out of the history books. And I thought, this is this is, you know, not right women clearly had a lot to contribute to our country over the years. And so I was always interested in women in history. And I think that learning about women in history, women like Sojourner Truth, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Susan B. Anthony, those three women you mentioned that are now the first real women to be memorialized in Central Park in its 167 year history. Uh, That was not an easy task to get them in the park but they they did so much to make our lives as women and men so much better than they were previously. And they had to put up and break a lot of barriers to do that. And they inspired me. I thought if they could do these, these really difficult things, women weren't allowed to speak in public. Sojourner Truth had been born a slave, um, you know, uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton wanted desperately to go to law school and she couldn't go to law school. All these things that they, you know, had to experience that were unfair and they they continued to struggle, not just for their own benefit, but for the benefit of all of us. And I thought they could, they could put up with that. I could certainly put up with what was going on and happening to me in the fire department. And so history has always been an inspiration for me. So when I retired, uh-huh. I got involved with this group called Monumental Women. And we don't, we didn't just put the statue in, in Central Park. That was a seven year project. We had to raise a million and a half dollars in private funds in order to do that. And wow. we unveiled it in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, but when you go there, you can hear Viola Davis speaking as Sojourner Truth and Meryl Streep speaking as as Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Jane Alexander as Susan B. Anthony and Rita Moreno in Spanish and America <laughs> Ferrar and Zoe Saldana. So it is a great thing. But we also have a five borough women's rights history trail. So we're building on that so that you can go all around the five boroughs and learn about women who did important things in New York City and in the country and in the world, things that have not been memorialized in our public spaces.
1: Whenever I hear about um, particularly people in the activist sector who are working on behalf of marginalized people, I always wonder, from your perspective, why? I mean, these are important stories. So from your perspective, why do you think that they were left out? Was it an oversight or do you think it was intentional?
2: I still believe that, you know, women aren't regarded as equal to men, unfortunately, even these days, Um, that there are people of color and immigrants and poor, you know, people who don't have economic advantages that and, and maybe aren't as educated as they might like to be. So there's, I don't know, this hierarchy, this top dog thing that people Still want to look down on other groups of people, which is inconceivable to me. I mean, we're all stuck on this little tiny planet, and it's important that you know that we help each other to to live our lives together. So I I can't explain it other than Jenna, other than you know some people need to feel like they're more important, they're better than other people, and that women just you know don't have what it takes um and that and we we've, we've seen over and over again how wrong that is i mean listen w- women have now been on the new york city fire department i just for 40 years i just want to show you we made a book one of the really women, yeah one of the younger women and i serenia swiscle and i we made a book chronicling the history of women in the new york city fire department because we knew the fire department wasn't going to do this, so we did it. <laughs> and you know, it, it it's great. It's great. Now it's done. We have from 1982 to 2022 all the different eras of women in the fire department and their various accomplishments. It it's great. So you know, I de- I decided when something doesn't get done, you just have to step up and do it. Right.
1: I think that's an excellent advice. Um, we have about 10 seconds left, but your advice to young women who might be considering the fire department themselves?
2: Well, go for it. Go for it. It is a great job. Um, you have to prepare yourself uh, both mentally, physically and, you know, study and also train, physically train for the exam. But there's an organization there to help you, the United Women Firefighters. And There are other people around, you know, some of us old timers, retirees, who would love to see more women come on the job.
3: For four generations, the Fian family has been at the heart of the New York City Fire Department. From the dawn of the motorized fire truck to the 1970s when the Bronx was burning to the devastation of the September 11th attacks of Fian has worn the FDNY patch. First Deputy Commissioner Bill Feehan was the highest ranking member of the department killed on 9-11, and two decades later, his legacy lives on thanks in part to his family. Their extraordinary service and how it reflects the history of the department is the foundation of author Brian McDonald's new book, Five Floors Up, The Heroic Family Story of Four Generations in the FDNY. Brian McDonald joins us now. Brian, welcome to the program.
4: Hi, Raphael. Nice nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
3: So, so Brian, first of all, and very quickly, why <laughs> is the title of the book Five Floors Up? Uh, what's the significance of those words of the story you tell, and particularly, what do they say about the dangers that firefighters face every day?
4: So the second generation, the main uh, person in the story is Chief William Fian, as you said, Um, In the early 70s, he was promoted to captain and assigned to a firehouse in Harlem. And the 70s was the time when the Bronx was burning. But it wasn't only the Bronx. Other neighborhoods in the city were on fire also, uh, as was the neighborhood he was assigned to. And he walked into the firehouse the first time to see uh, this crew of firefighters he was going to lead naked, sitting at a table. It was their way of uh, giving him the initiation. He didn't say a word, he passed the initiation, he just got his meal, went up to his office. But they used to fight that where this uh, neighborhood where the firehouse was, was lined with these five-story tenement buildings. And firefighters, will tell you, tenement building, buildings are one of the toughest fires to fight. You know, there's, there's small hallways, uh, stairs, they're made out of wood, lots of windows. So um, when they'd get a call at, a, at a, a tenement, they would say, you know, our luck is gonna be, it's gonna be on the fifth floor, five floors deep into the apartment, which would be the toughest place to go. So they came up with the expression, five floors up, five rooms deep. And that's how I uh, got the title for the book.
3: And and, and actually, one of the things that your book really underlines is just really, we all know it, but your book shows it, how dangerous it is for these men every day. But anyway, let, let's move on. As we've, as we've said, the, the chief protagonist of your narrative is, is Chief Bill Fian, and we'll get even more into his story in a moment. But you start, uh, with, uh, with the story of his father, William Patrick Fian, the man who began this firefighting dynasty. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about him and how he reflected the F-E-N-Y of his time.
4: So he was a latecomer to too. I mean, there were circumstances surrounding it. He was the youngest of 10 children of an Irish immigrant family. And he took care of his mother till she died. So he joined the department when he was 34. He was a latecomer. But as soon as he got into the department, he knew what he wanted to do. He was he was ferocious as a firefighter. You know, one of the things I found out in the fire interviewing firefighters, there's a, a class of firefighter who will stay as a firefighter will not look to be promoted because they love the action of running into burning buildings. Has nothing to do with uh, uh, you know any ambition to get ahead or anything. They want to fight fires. And William Finn, the first William Finn, was definitely that kind of firefighter. He had uh, what I like to call a hero gene. You know, he'd run into a burning building to save somebody he didn't know um, uh, with no regard for his own safety. And he was hospitalized. I believe he was hospitalized at least four times. Yeah. Um, And it was a dangerous time to be a firefighter for sure.
3: So so his son was also a hero, but unlike his father, I don't know if he had ambition, but but he tell us a little bit about him. Give us the highlights of Chief. Uh, uh FDNY career.
4: A remarkable career, a, a unique career. He was the only firefighter, and only member of the fire department, whole every rank in the department, including fire commissioner for a short time in the 1990s during the Dinkins administration. I think his wife had a lot to do with it, she, uh, him not staying, because I think he would have stayed as a firefighter too. He loved the action, but he wanted to start a family and his wife was uh, forced to be reckoned with at home and she wanted to make more money. I mean, firefighters were woefully underpaid and you know when you're trying to raise a family on that kind of a salary you have to uh, not only uh, go up the ladder but you have to work second jobs and firefighters are famous new york city firefighters across the country actually are famous for moonlighting and other jobs and chief Ian was no exception he had to do it because of the kids and yes. tuition
3: So so, but let's turn to 9-11, which which obviously, I mean, I think our our viewers would guess it's the most moving and powerful section of your book. Um, As you write on learning uh, on the morning of 9-11 that his father had rushed to the Twin Towers, Chief Fian's son, Billy, uh, calmed his concerns about his dad by reasoning that someone so high in the chain of command and 71 years old to boot, would not be put in harm's way. But of course, he was put in harm's way, and he paid the ultimate price for being right there in the middle of it all. How did that happen? I mean, how does a 71-year-old deputy commissioner end up in the thick of it? You know, the way I was thinking of it when I was reading your book was like if as if Eisenhower had been in one of those <laughs> landing boats on D-Day.
4: How did that happen? You know, I write in a book that his face felt the heat of a thousand fires. Now, people have taken me to task a little bit on that, but he worked in very busy firehouses. So that if it's an exaggeration, it's not much of one. But he didn't know any other way. And when Billy, his son, at first believed that his father would be safe, on further consideration, he knew that his father was going to be right in the midst of it. There was no, no choice uh, when the, he was in the North Tower and the North Tower was the first uh, command post and uh, Chief um, Commissioner Von Essen uh, didn't want him there, told somebody to say, well, this is no place for a 71 year old. And Von Essen went over to Bill and Chief Fian, and, and said, listen, let's let's put you somewhere where you could you know, manage things. And, uh, and uh, Chief Fian had some very short words to Von Essen. Okay. Uh, That translated means uh, you got to be kidding me. And as you're right,
3: and to add insult to injury, uh, the commissioner actually asked him to to give another firefighter his helmet.
4: That didn't go so well. No, it didn't go so (laughs) well. He might as well ask him for his pants. You know, it was not gonna it was not gonna fly. And uh, as it turned out, he was uh, you know after the first tower came down. Uh, it severely damaged the Marriott Hotel. There were firefighters trapped in the Marriott, and Bill Feen, along with Chief Gansey, the chief of the department, and Ray Downey, a legendary fire chief, were orchestrating a, a rescue operation for firefighters stuck uh, trapped in the Marriott Hotel. And and that's when the North Tower came down and killed killed all three of them. So,
3: well, you know, at least his family has the consolation of knowing that that Chief Feen that would have been the way that he had wanted to go from everything that you're right. It seems that's the truth. Correct.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Billy went the next day. Billy went uh, Billy uh, Junior. Uh, he's not a junior, but the uh, younger Billy went to see where his dad was killed. And, you know, in the pile, it was just it was still a crime scene. It was a smoking. Uh, very dangerous place, but he got to where his father was uh, killed. The spot, and he said he could have stayed there all night. He said he felt like it was his father's last breath hung in the air, you know. And uh, and it was very emotional. He tells the story 21 years later, and and the tears come come down.
3: Well, you know, uh, Brian, throughout your book, you write about a number of fires uh, that occurred over the years in the city, uh, fires which contain lessons that if They had been heated, Hmm. would probably have saved a lot of lives on 9 11, certainly a lot of lives of firefighters. Um, What were those lessons that weren't heated? Why were they not heated? And have they been heated since 9 11?
4: Uh, yeah, well, yeah, the short answer is yes. I had a um, I, I did an event with uh, Chief uh, Joseph Pfeiffer, who was the first chief. And if you remember, the um, the French filmmakers were following a chief that day. Chief Pfeiffer was that chief, a remarkable man, a he- American hero. And he worked tirelessly to solve some of the problems that uh showed on on 9 11, including the uh, communication between the agencies. There were there were police and police helicopters over the buildings warning uh, the police command that the buildings were going to come down. And that warning never got to the fire department. So, I mean, there's a lot of culture differences between the two departments, but it was just, it was just the, the structure was off. The structure was wrong. And if, uh, done a, um you know enormous amount of repair in that regard you know god forbid it should happen again but that the same thing is not going to happen that happened So already. the
3: communications was key but there was also as you point out in the book there were signs that skyscrapers you know faced with severe fires could be vulnerable but people thought that they wouldn't be even as late as 9/11 well,
4: now they and- in '93, Chief Ian, who was first Deputy Commissioner in 1993, went to uh, the World Trade Center bombing. That blew a seven-story deep hole under the building, and even he was convinced that these buildings would never come down. The, the terrorists wanted to knock down the building. They wanted yeah. to explode at the bottom. They thought the first building would hit the second building in a domino fashion and go. That was their uh, that was their aim, but uh, it didn't happen. So. Finn was uh, pretty, pretty uh, confident that the building would come down. However, there were a uh, he responded to a fire called a uh, one New York Plaza fire was a skyscraper in the financial district. And uh, the fire had warped the um, the struts, the uh, the the infrastructure. Yeah, the structure of it. And uh, and that building would have come down, had the fire you know, been as yeah. as hot as the fire in the yeah. in the World Trade Center.
3: In your book, you briefly also talk about two other generations of, of Fee. And, you know, there is uh, his son, John, and his son-in-law, Brian uh, Devin, I think that's the pronunciation, plus, yeah. plus his grandson, uh, yes. young. What's his name? What's his name? Connor, Connor, Connor. 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 Um, and they reflect the same kind of of, of qualities, exceptional qualities that uh, that you Fee and did. But you also write in the book that the FDNY didn't always, or is it had had his own problem? Had qualities not so exemplary? Sexism, racism, uh, nepotism. Um, have those problems been overcome?
4: Yeah, I think they're uh, slowly but surely. I mean, uh, nobody's going to accuse the uh, fire department of being ahead of the curve when it comes to representing the city they they represent. Uh, but uh, in Connor's class, there was the most women passed the. Uh, uh, Academy and went on to the fire department. It, it was also a test that over 50% of the applicants were minority. And that's, that's a, that's a great, great, uh, uh service for the city that, that we're getting a fire department like that. So yeah, it's changing okay. slowly, but it's changing.
3: So, you know, finally, Brian, um, with the FDA modernizing and making the changes that you just mentioned, um, do you think that a dynasty like the Fians, uh, we will continue to see them in the future, or do you think those dynasties are actually a thing of the past?
4: I don't think they'll be like Irish families or, or Italian families like you see. Uh, I mean, I think the, that there's a chance for that to happen. But just recently, I was reading about a Three generation Black family of New York City firefighters. And, you know, being one of the things that I was, um, that really surprised me about doing the research on the book is how much fun firefighters have. Yes, they have dangerous jobs, no doubt about it, but all of them love to go to work. And when the kids see their parents going to work, loving to go, that makes the kids want to do what the parents did. And that's why these generations uh, occur in the fire department.
3: Okay, Brian, we're gonna have to end it there. Thank you so much for joining us and for your book. It's a wonderful book, Five Floors Up. I hope a lot of people go out and buy it. Thank you, Brian.
0: Thanks a lot. Metro Focus is made possible by Sue and Edgar Wackenheim III, Philomen M. D'Agostino Foundation, The Peter G. Peterson and Joan Gans Cooney Fund, Bernard and Denise Schwartz, Barbara Hope Zuckerberg, and by Jody and John Arnhold, Dr. Robert C. and Tina Sohn Foundation, The Ambrose Monell Foundation, Estate of Roland Carlin,